This is 4L with Ryan O'Neill and Rebecca DeCoster. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? Fine. Everything's fine. How was your trip? I mean, depending on when we publish this podcast, it'll either be like a week ago or like six weeks ago. So, Oh, that's true. Hey, But it was splendid. We have a special guest today. Who is it? Um, wait, I have to play special guest music. Are we going to have copyright issues here? Maybe. Disney has entered the chat. Guest, be our guest. Put our service to the test. That's all. Man, the acoustics on this podcast are just stellar. <laughs> it's Casey Mayer! Yay! Yay! The crowd goes wild. Welcome, Casey. Thank you for having me, esteemed colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> That didn't sound fake or forced at all. Are you happy to be here? No one can see me, but I'm making forced eyes also. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I asked you to come on the podcast with us today because you are the newly anointed expert in alphabet problems. Well, my self-deprecating nature will not allow you to further call me an expert, so if you could delete all references to that word, I would appreciate it. Well, I did ask you to come on today to talk about UCCJEA stuff, which for those of you who don't know what that means is what? I didn't know there was going to be a name quiz. You can't- oh, there's a quiz. You can't just drop that on me. Oh, my God. Come on, man. <laughs> Uniform. Oh, do you want to go? Are you the expert? Go. No, go. <laughs> Uniform Child Custody Jurisdiction and Enforcement Act. Um, which is, from my understanding, which is remedial at best, uh, an act that most states, if not all of them, have agreed to it's like a uniform act just like the uniform commercial code or something like that but it has to do with the jurisdiction of family law courts when there are interstate disputes about custody is that a fair summary of what that is yeah absolutely it's it basically tried to set something so there would be guidelines so that everyone was looking at the same book hopefully the same page of that book, but at least we all knew which book we were looking at. It is all states. um, Massachusetts, I believe, is the exception, is the one that has not adopted. I I could be wrong. They may have since adopted it, but at last glance, I don't believe Massachusetts had adopted it, along with, like, Guam and the Virgin Islands. (laughs) That's weirdly rant. Like of all the states in the union to not adopt a uniform act, I wouldn't have picked that one. Well, maybe they were throwing tea into the harbor over it. Oh, maybe they are. It is kind of a Boston Harbor situation. Or so I thought we would take a look at how this act works and kind of walk through it 
using the only famous interstate custody dispute that I could find involving a celebrity because we love celebrities here and we love talking about celebrities in the context of family law and I found one case so I'm hoping you can like walk me through it so that I understand kind of how this worked and what happened and there may be some things here that just defy explanation oh so. there usually are with celebrities but we can all do our best okay Ryan are you still awake yes okay great um, don't sound so, so enthusiastic, Ryan. <laughs> nope. Great. Great. Glad okay, I Okay, Ryan, jump in anytime you want to. I'm just, I'm waiting. I'm just, I, I, I'm excited to get to this fact pattern. You're waiting for what? For you to get to the fact pattern. Okay. So here's the fact pattern. All right. Bodie Miller, who was an Olympic skier, he has like a bajillion Olympic medals, including a gold medal from the 2010 games. Not that that is relevant. Um, he was involved in an interstate custody dispute with an ex-girlfriend of his, Sarah McKenna, who just by the way, is a former Marine. She's kind of a badass, actually. Um, so Sarah's living in California and meets Bodie Miller through an online dating service and they start dating in like April of 2012. Um, they start kind of casually dating. She becomes pregnant in late May. So I guess it wasn't all that casual. Um, <laughs> and so I, by my math, that makes her due in like February of 13. And then the relationship ends. It's like, it seems pretty shortly after she gets pregnant. Um, and at some point, Sarah releases to the media a text message that Bodie Miller had sent her when she asked him to go to an ultrasound appointment with her in June of 2012. So she's a couple months pregnant. And he says to her, like, he's not going because, and I quote, you spelled with a letter U, mm. um, <laughs> you made this choice against my wish. So not super interested in having a relationship with just to, just to be clear what choice did she make to have the baby i think he she says she alleges that he wanted her to have an abortion at some point ah. um follow-up questions one what did he do with all the spare time he had by not using y-o-u <laughs> he used it in a different text message that began yo oh got it and <laughs> I guess the second one isn't a follow-up question, but I guess a, a tip that you should always put feelings like that in writing for, for, <laughs> for future litigation, for future litigation purposes, always write that down. One of the um, lawyers that I worked with in a prior life had a lot of rules for living. It was like this guy's name and they were like the 10 rules for living. One of them was never send flowers because it just reminds her that she's what she's mad at you about. But one of them was never create evidence. And this is a good example of that. <laughs> like, yes. For sure. Okay. So anyway, he says like basically like, screw you. I'm not going to this ultrasound appointment with you because you're having this baby and I don't want you to. Um, then in October, she sends him a text saying she met with some advisor from Columbia, the university in New York, not the country. Um, and we'll probably be moving to New York to attend Columbia in the fall, which it seems like October is already fall, but 
whatever. Yeah, um, that's a late start. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, th I mean, I guess they recruited her and they were going to give her a full scholarship or something and she could use her GI Bill or I don't know, something. It was like a screaming deal for her and um, he clearly was not interested in whatever, whatever. So she's like, I guess I'll just go to Columbia because it's an Ivy League school. Um, My, what a fallback plan. <laughs> right. Like, she's so screwed. Um, okay. So the same month, October of 2012, Bodhi marries somebody else because he likes to move fast. He's a skier. Um, she is a beach volleyball player and a model, of course. Um, and then in November, before the baby's born again, because she's not due until February, Bodhi files a petition in California to establish paternal relationship. So that's the title of the document, Petition to Establish Paternal Relationship. God. What does that mean? I have no, does anybody know what that means? Is that even I mean, a it's got to be like a paternity case. Like we would right. file the Paternity Act is my assumption. I, you know, I don't know anything truly about California law, but I got to imagine it's basically like an action to establish paternity. Can you, in Michigan, can you do that before the baby's born? You can. I've seen it filed there before, yeah. Yes, you can. And I, there are cases out there where even people are getting a divorce and someone is pregnant. And so then you have to deal with the issue of if and when you're having a DNA test, if that's an issue. Same thing under the Paternity Act. You can start before the child's born. Interesting. Okay. So <clears throat> he files that in November. Then in December, Sarah moves to New York as she planned. Um, and then in February of 2013, she has the baby. Two days after the baby's born, she files a custody petition in New York. So he's got this proceeding that's going on in California. She files a petition in New York to um, determine custody. And so now what happens? Like, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> What does New York have to do? Is California doing anything? Now we've got a mess on our hands because everybody's run to the courthouse in fairly short order. Well, so really, if, if you look at the UCCJA in totality and try and think through it logically, it's not a difficult thing to understand. Where it gets really difficult is that the way that the steps are set up, the way that the um, judges have to move through the UCCJA is basically like the worst outline someone could have ever created for you to follow. It's like 1A, 1-2, B, C, everything has sub-steps, everything has a four-factor test. It, it just gets really complicated when you're looking at steps. So. The first question, if I'm the New York referee, is what would give me jurisdiction here? And when thinking about that question, you also have to consider if something has been initiated in another state, which in this case, Bodie did initiate a proceeding in California, whether or not it's titled the same thing, custody, paternal relationship, whatever, there is a proceeding technically going on with respect to this child. And so whether or not you um, 
whether or not California has actually entered an order yet, there is this proceeding going on, so it does now get really complicated. Um, if I am the state that is looking to make an initial custody determination, that's kind of where people are probably familiar with the question of, am I the child's home state? And then do you, are there significant connections, yada, 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 that's where that test comes in. If I'm the court that's trying to make initial custody determination, which is different than if I'm a court trying to modify a custody determination. Okay, so let's say this is an initial determination, like there's no orders yet, we've just got these two pending proceedings going on. And the first one to have a hearing is the New York court. So I'm, like you said, the New York referee, and I'm faced with this fact pattern, what, at that point, I'm making a determination about whether or not this is the child's home state? That is the first question. So, so what does that mean? There's like sub-jurisdictional requirements and the priority under the UCCJA is what is the child's home state? So basically, it's where has the child lived for six months? But that can get super complicated, as I'm sure everyone out there and we have all seen. Okay, well, they moved three months ago. Someone took the kid. Someone, there can be all these um, sort of mitigating factors when even just looking at that time period. For this child and talking about this specific fact pattern, you could make an argument that New York is this child's home state because New York has been where this child has lived, quote unquote, since birth. Which right, for two days. <laughs> it, I, whether it's two days, four hours, or 16 years, that's the UCCJEA takes that into account in defining home state, is what has it been since birth if the child's not yet six. So, but that's when you have to start looking at, even if New York is the child's home state, let's say that referee looked at this case and said, this kid has lived here for two days, so we are this child's home state. That still doesn't necessarily mean that New York will take jurisdiction because it can decline to take jurisdiction if it doesn't think it's appropriate. So that's one of those, like as we're getting through the outline steps, okay, just because I'm this child's home state, I can still decline to accept jurisdiction if it's not appropriate. And, and under what circumstances would it not be appropriate? So an example would be if somebody found that mom was fleeing California in order to basically forum shop. If they were saying, okay, she just didn't want to go under California law, there's no, you know, I, I don't know kind of what analysis you would go through, but obviously there'd have to be testimony taken, the reasons behind the move, but a referee or a judge, ultimately a judge, if they their system works the way that our does in New York could say, listen, you don't get to forum shop. You don't get to come out to New York to take advantage of our laws because you think they're more favorable to mothers or you just don't want to be around witnesses or testimony that could be damning in California. So we're not taking jurisdiction. Okay. It's like you're psychic because this is exactly what happened, right? <gasps> so Maybe I am psychic. You are psychic. <laughs> Or something. Um, so a witchy what happens woman, is, if you will. Huh? A witchy woman, if you will. That's right. Um, you're like Stevie Nicks. Um, so anyway, the New York referee says essentially all of those things. Like, you know, it was completely ridiculous that you left California and came to New York. 
I think your forum shopping essentially um, says it was unjustifiable conduct. I think that's a quote from the opinion, like that was, or whatever the findings were from the bench. It's unjustifiable conduct, sends the case back to California, where of course the child, I guess, has never lived since it's been born, but I don't know. And I, I don't know how the, if the a finding was made or not that she fled like inappropriately, even though it sounds like she planned to move to New York for months. Which That's is confusing. I, I, you know, I, I would think again, not there for the testimony or what even was able to be presented, but you would think based on the facts that were given, the very clear intent to move to New York, which was expressed to the other party, and it wasn't predicated on having this baby necessarily, unless there are facts that they just haven't shared with us. But from the, these very basic facts, there is a reason for her to be in New York. School was starting, so yeah, the timing was a little close on having this baby, but also like she had to be out there to start her semester or trimester or whatever it is based on the weird timing she moved. Right. And it's not like full disclosure. It's not like I read the opinions or read the transcripts. Like I read people magazines article about it, or I read cosmopolitan or bustle or yeah. whatever it is. Just like Westlaw. Well, you can't put stuff on the internet if it's not true. So that's right. So this is all of course, totally accurate. Um, okay, so it gets sent back to California, and then in September, so they must have been fighting, fighting, fighting for a few months, then in September of 13, so when the baby is like six or seven months old, Bodie gets primary custody from the California court. Okay. Hmm. So, um, so that then brings up a question for me, unless... You know, I'd be interested to read the opinion if to say New York declined. They would basically have to declare themselves either not the child's home state under the UCCJEA because only then can you get to that significant connections if we're talking about why California would have jurisdiction. You can't even get to let's talk about where the child significant connections, which it very clearly um, defined in the UCCJEA, you don't get there unless there is no home state. So New York basically would have had to say, we're not a home state and also we're declining because she was trying to make it the home state based on these terrible actions that we've said are terrible. Is well, and that was my other question too, like at what point, I know there's something in the UCCJEA that requires the two courts to talk to each other. Right. And I, at what point is that conference supposed to happen? It should have happened before anyone had a hearing. That conference should have happened. And by the way, the UCCJA also requires courts to keep a recording of those, what, however the conversation happens. So the um, imagination of people that thinks judges just call each other and say, well, I don't want this case. Well, I don't want this case. And they flip a coin over the phone. That can't, I mean, that could happen off the record, but they have to have a valid UCCJEA-centered conversation around who is going to exercise jurisdiction and why. Okay. So and that should have happened before anyone had a hearing. Right. And the New York court would have had to make a finding that 
they weren't the home state, would they have had to make a finding that California was, or is that not something that New York has to do? That's not something that New York has to do. And New York could also have said, okay, even if we're the home state, then that's fine, except because of these unreasonable actions, we're not taking jurisdiction. And also California is a more appropriate forum. That's kind of the next piece after those significant connections. If New York is declining as the quote unquote home state, which who knows if they even said they were the child's home state for the two days, if they believe California is the more appropriate forum for whatever reasons, they can say, California, you should take it. Okay. So, all right. So fast forwarding to when California gives Bodie Miller primary custody, then the baby who's like six or seven months old at this point gets surrendered to Bodie Miller and his wife. And the way that Sarah described it in an interview was, Bodie and his wife show up at her apartment in New York with an empty car seat, take the baby, put it in a car seat, and walk away. So that's fun, and that's a great result. And she's fully, like, mentally and emotionally recovered from that very non-traumatic event. <laughs> right. I mean, right. It, there's can I just ask, because I didn't get that far down the rabbit hole, what the court's basis was for giving him primary custody? Did anyone be? I don't know. I don't know. I can tell you that there was a blog at some point that Bodie Miller's wife had out and then deleted it that s said a lot of not nice things about Sarah. But one of the things that she harped on was, well, Bodhi and I have a very stable life and we don't rely on childcare and Sarah does. She relies on childcare and that's bad and we're good and that's why we have custody. So I don't know if that was a factor in the decision, but I'm sure it was argued because she put it on a freaking blog and then deleted it because they're in the middle of litigation, supposedly. All right. Well, and it's also like you got to wonder based on like the text message that Bodhi sent saying basically you you made this decision without me and then all of a sudden he gets married and now all of a sudden he's filing actions and all of a sudden he's so where's the push coming from and how much did that play into it and right right well and i think i mean it's we see that even in non-ucc jea cases where we've had a parent who's been absent for a long period of time and sort of semi-interested or not interested in a relationship with the kid. And then they get a new partner who is like, why don't you have a relationship with your kid? And he's like, I don't know. Or she's like, I don't know. And the new partner pushes them to like file motions and try and become more involved. So that wouldn't shock me if that was part of the dynamic that was going on. Right. So they give him custody and literally rip a baby out of its mother's arms. Go Correct. on. <laughs> okay. So next, um, the New York Appeals Court reverses the New York referee's decision, and they must have remanded it because then in November of 13, the New York referee then orders Bodie to give the child back to Sarah. So November of 13, give it back to Sarah until their next court appearance in December of 13. So a month later, so I mean, it's just a ping pong ball at this point, which is what UCCJEA is supposed to be preventing, I presume, is some of this right. back and forth. 
Absolutely. That baby has flown cross country more times than I have. Right. Um, and I think eventually they end up settling and there are a lot of machinations in between that, but it, it just struck me as like, this is what not is not supposed to happen is a lot of back and forth in the UCCJEA I thought was supposed to be a clear path, you know, so that you don't have these jurisdictional fights and two different courts ordering stuff and blah, 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 blah. That's exactly what it's supposed to prevent. And, you know, again, not there, not the referee, don't know what was presented, but it seems to me like if the UCCJA were properly applied in the instant scenario that New York, the case would have stayed in New York, it never would have left New York, and we wouldn't have had this problem. Right. You know what also, I mean, this is has no legal significance whatsoever. No, it absolutely does. They don't even call the kid the same name. Insane. Like she <laughs> mom calls the kid Sam and Bodie calls the kid Nathaniel or Nate. Like that's not even close. It's not even close. And I guess so Sarah to her credit named this kid like a whole bunch of names. Um including Bodie was one of the names and I think a hyphenated last name of like McKenna Miller or Miller McKenna. I can't remember which one it is, but then Bodie got permission to add Nathaniel as one of the middle names. Cause it was like his brother had recently died and his brother's name was Nathaniel, but then they don't even, can't even agree on what they call the kid. Like I, I can't. That. <laughs> this is one of those where neither parent is the correct answer. Well, hand, right. It's a door number the three. baby. <laughs> right. Door number three. A door number three case where you're hoping that there will be some adult who's rational. Who I mean, up. I want to like sympathize with her a little bit because he seems like the less intelligent version of Crush from Finding Nemo. But. <laughs> the turtle? Yes. yes the Crush turtle. the turtle. Okay. Let me also ask, I, I told you I was going to have a surprise for you and gave you no heads up about talking about this because I'm excited about it and I know you're going to be excited also. So there's another international custody dispute involving, I don't know if you remember this television show, Casey, but Lily Vanderwoodson from Gossip Girl you, I knew this was going to be the UCCJ case you were going to bring up because that is the only one I could think of. <laughs> and she has had her children stripped from her so many times. Well, right. So Kelly Rutherford is the actress who played Lily Vanderwoodson on the original Gossip Girl. There's a reboot of Gossip Girl. It is not as good as the original. I'm just putting that out there. It's not great. I'm just, I'm saying. It's unfair expectations were set with the greatness of the original and it i just don't know what it's trying to be that's neither here nor there that's true so and also she she was the mother of the character played by blake lively who's now married to ryan reynolds who's also deadpool just to go completely down that rabbit hole and ryan yawns on cue nice job ryan <laughs> on cue <laughs> so anyway so Ke yeah oh, Kelly are we Rutherford still recording has sorry a couple kids with her ex-husband, boyfriend, one of the two. Um, and 
then international custody dispute ensues because the children's father gets deported and can't come to the United States. Um, and then <laughs> I guess at some point the, the court rules that the mom can only have parenting time in France or Monaco because dad can't. So she has to, she can visit her kids and have a liberal parenting time with her kids, but she's got to do it in Europe. Correct. <laughs> right. So I guess that that was a case where what I think there were two states and foreign courts involved. So it was like California, New York again. So these folks are at it all. Like California and New York probably just have a hotline where the judges call each other for UCCJEA conferences. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, Monaco and France, I guess, were involved as well. But I just thought that was kind of fascinating. So I guess California originally issued a ruling that sent the kids to their dad in Monaco. So even though California had jurisdiction, they're like, nope, kids, you got to go to Monaco because dad can't participate in parenting you here in the United States. So, and mom has the means to be able to travel back and forth and maintain a relationship with you and dad can't. Right. Well, and so in, in, I mean, you know, there are UCCJA questions at the outset, obviously, of that case, but there's a whole lot of Hague involved also. The whole point, like we were talking about, of the UCCJA is really to get the court that's in the best position to make the decision. And unfortunately, sometimes courts don't agree which one is in the best position to make that decision. But like I kind of started off saying, it really is a, a logical way to think through who's in the best position once you kind of wrap your head around how many steps there are and what is all going on. So even if you look at home state, not just in terms of, okay, you've been there for six months, you're looking at where is all of the evidence? Where is all of these people that are going to be testifying? Where has this child um, grown in a community, participated in things? You know, I mean, it's sort of like a, a macro version of what we look at in best interest factors and, you know, homeschool community record, all of those things that are relevant to what is going to happen to a child and what is going on are still relevant in a UCCJEA, even initial determination as to who is actually going to make this decision. In the other piece we kind of haven't touched on with respect to the UCCJEA is it also does allow for temporary emergency jurisdiction so that if there are people fleeing for valid reasons then a court can take temporary emergency jurisdiction i you know they specifically consider domestic violence as a reason to take temporary emergency jurisdiction what state is in the best position to protect the kids protect the person fleeing so that is kind of a carved out exception in terms of, okay, even if the child does have a home state, is there an emergency situation under which we should be taking jurisdiction? Right. So um, I did want to touch on that because I know there's an exception or it's taken into consideration if someone is fleeing into a jurisdiction due to domestic violence or an emergency situation. Um, and let me ask this with respect to the Kelly Rutherford um, issue which is apparently she tried to get New York to hear her case 
And I think when she filed in New York, she had possession of the kids. So they must have been with her for visitation. And then she refused to return them to Monaco where the kids were ordered to be with dad. And I just, I don't know if she asserted New York as an emergency jurisdiction or if she was living, I don't, I don't know. I. So again, that's where a judicial conference has to happen. If someone is even thinking about exercising emergency jurisdiction, those judges have to have a conversation about why that emergency jurisdiction is or is not going to be happening and whether or not it's appropriate. And if it truly is a situation where they should be exercising emergency jurisdiction, they can take that emergency jurisdiction and the other state can still keep the long-term custody case. It's just an interim order then at that point, right? It, it's basically meant to be temporary. That doesn't mean that it can't turn into long-term because there are situations on where temporary jurisdiction can turn into long-term jurisdiction. But for the most part, it's meant to be temporary for an emergency basis. And so that's where you start even before you start getting into home state or whatever if you're truly talking an emergency assertion that is where you have to start and so can an emergency assertion be not only domestic violence but maybe also the parent who is the victim in a parental kidnapping situation so let's say you know my spouse and i get divorced and our divorce was finalized in montana right and i've since moved to colorado and my spouse was in Montana, but apparently has fled Montana and taken them to Canada. And I can't get them back. I don't know where they are. Can I file in now my new home state, my new home state as the parent under some sort of emergency jurisdiction or how do I have to go back to Montana? Do I have to go to Canada? What's the... Well, it depends, it depends on the case. I, the UCCJA, another piece of it, allows you to register and enforce current orders in whatever state you're in, no matter how it was found, no matter if that state continues to have jurisdiction. So if you have an order from whatever state, Montana, Canada, wherever it is, and you want assistance with enforcement of that order because your spouse has fled with that kid, you can register it in the state that you're residing in for enforcement purposes only. That doesn't mean necessarily that you'll have jurisdiction to modify, jurisdiction to, to do any of that, but you can register a judgment of any jurisdiction for enforcement purposes. That's another piece of the UCCJA so that we honor each other's judgments. Okay. Which is a different question than initial determination. Right, the jurisdiction to modify. I feel like I've talked about pieces of the UCCJA and everyone's brains are probably picturing a giant spider with all of the legs coming off and there's too many legs. It feels kind of like that, yeah. And it's confusing and I, I, is there something you would recommend if I'm an attorney who's got uh, something that smells like a UCCJEA question and I'm not sure where to turn next obviously there's the statute and you can read that and that won't make anything more clear so are there like flow charts or something that tools that practitioners can use or is it just hopeless no it's not hopeless there are so many presentations out there um with respect to the uccja i almost just set out the whole name like a big fat nerd um, <laughs> 
there are so many presentations out there just because it is so complicated. So many people have given good presentations. Um, but one of the really great resources are um, like Centers for Domestic Violence will typically have their own presentations in conjunctions with either local attorneys or state levels, or I believe the National Center for State Courts had, even has a whole presentation because of the domestic violence piece that really makes it take center stage for a lot of people. Um, but there are a ton of resources out there. You can literally just Google like UCCJEA and then um, I will assume that you are smart enough to dig through Google and find reputable resources and not just <laughs> terrible ones. You know, I, there are attorneys who put them out on their own websites. Yeah, I would stay away from those. It just, it, it sometimes is um, more geared towards advertisement because they want you to hire them to handle those things, um, which is fine. They're allowed to do that. Um, but there really are a lot um, more, I guess, unbiased publications that um, have put out materials about the UCCJEA. I mean, even the US Department of Justice has put out stuff about the UCCJEA, kind of giving an overview. Like I said, it's typically because that domestic violence piece is involved. People are very concerned about making sure you understand the temporary jurisdiction. And then the good news is, is that they have to then tag on all of the other questions that people would ask. Okay. Yeah, I feel like the law firm sites will often give you like the first two paragraphs of a five paragraph explanation and then say, call us if you want, yes. if you want the rest of the information and pay us to tell you. Um, if you're interested in the rest of this information, which is the actual helpful part, um, there is like a really good um, overview, kind of a step-by-step -step process um, that the National Council of Juvenile and Family Court Judges put out. Um, which I think you can just Google that it's like NCJFCJ or something. But it, truly, if you just Google UCCJEA, it's put on by the National Council for Juvenile and Family Court Judges, um, which is then very tailored to our work. Maybe we should be nice to Costa and put a link to that in the podcast page. Um, that would probably be a good idea. And I'm looking at it and just... So it's www.ncjfcj.org is the main website, um, but they do have a guide for judges and court personnel on there with respect to the UCCJEA, which would be extraordinarily helpful if you were thinking about filing motions or cases that are going to implicate the UCCJEA. Um, and so, just as a plug, if you're just registering for enforcement and we're talking specifically our court, Oakland County has forms available on the Oakland County website for you to fill out that allow you to register your judgment very, very easily. Use the forms. Do not send in a letter. <laughs> so are you saying to use the forms or send in a letter? Mm, I'm going to go with use the forms. Oh, you want us to use the forms? Use the forms. Oh my God, we've said forms so many times. This is now <laughs> not as many times as I said loosey goosey <laughs> or Dogecoin or Dogecoin. <laughs> Long time listener, first time guest. <laughs> <laughs> right, before you go, I the one thing I wanted to know out of this um, 
is what are the common mistakes you see practitioners making with regards to UCCJEA? I think practitioners just assume they know what they're doing and file without the appropriate allegations is what happens. And it's easy to do because if you read one piece, you assume you understand the rest of the pieces. So I, the biggest problem is not educating yourself on the entire UCCJEA before you're asking somebody to make a decision because you need to understand what you're asking that court to do and understand the implications of that request. And one more time, letter or form? Mm, form, form. Okay. Okay. And if I'm looking for the actual statute because I wanna torture myself and read the actual statute, it's at, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's MCL 722.1101 at SEC or whatever. Like, is that still? <laughs> Is that how you say that? And is that still accurate? I do like the, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I believe that's accurate. Okay. But that's only going to be for Michigan. Our California listeners will have to. You know, it's actually really helpful that at the end of that presentation, uh, or in the end of the slideshow that we were talking about the National Center for, whatever it is, that link that you gave. Family court judges, juvenile judges. At the end of it, it gives a list of all the states that have codified the UCCJEA and cites them. Oh, nice. So if you are in a different state, as I know this podcast is widely listened to, Worldwide. you can go to the end of that presentation and find your own site. <laughs> Worldwide. <laughs> Not you, Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming on today and making sense out of uh, difficult to understand topic and